Spectre Cinema Club episode 161. Gregory Taylor on Letterboxd gives the birds 4 out of 5 stars saying, Rod Taylor looks just like Robin Williams, who would later star in The Birdcage. Small world. Hello, hello. Welcome to Spectre Cinema Club, a podcast obsessed with the horror subgenres. I am one half of this podcast, Garrett McDowell. The other half, Devon Taylor. Devon, let me hear your best bird call. What do you got? <laughs> oh, wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was spooky. <laughs> am, I, am I just as unsettling as uh, the opening credits for this movie? <laughs> you sure are. You sure are. Uh, happy to have you here, buddy. Yeah, I'm happy to be here again. Uh, we are in uh, week two of uh, The Hitch's Back. We're talking Alfred Hitchcock all month long. Uh, in mm. honor of Garrett's birthday. And um, yeah, uh, we are uh, in another one here. And I don't know if uh, you already, I, I know Lexi saw uh, my, my tweet about uh, uh, throwing one more stray at uh, LB Jeffries uh, from Rear Window last week. Cause I'm like, I was like, okay, we got a real man to talk about today. <laughs> damn, damn. Yeah. Uh, shout out, uh, shout out Rod Taylor here, who has just got the squarish jaw around. You He's know? got a this very is... square head in general. He sure does. Honestly. He sure does. <laughs> His head is like cube shaped. <laughs> yeah. So we are very excited uh, to continue on our uh, deep dive on Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, we are joined with us by a special guest this week. They are the host of the Schooled by Cinema podcast welcome to the show lexi van dyke hello how are you guys yeah i'm terrific how are you lucky to have you on (laughs) thank you i'm very excited to be talking about hitchcock and the birds with you guys this is um one i wanted to talk about but really haven't had the occasion to yeah, and and honestly, your your name uh, sounds like a character of a Hitchcock movie, so so you're very appropriate uh, uh, to be here uh, with us. And uh, before we uh, get some of your thoughts on Hitchcock, uh, what are some of your favorite subgenres in horror? Uh, since, wow, it feels like it feels like Halloween was like a year ago now, even though it's only been a week. It's so funny. Um, but I would have to say my favorites are probably uh, zombie movies. I'm a big zombie movie fan. Interesting. Um, I like kind of like end of the world, which kind of ties into zombie horror, like end of the world kind of film with horror films a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I am of the twilight generation. So vampires are also very, you know, near and dear to my heart. Although I was more, uh, interview with a vampire person and then, you know, twilight kind of happened later. Yeah, that's all we need is a zombie vampire movie. I, I, know. I, I would be into that. But yeah, I think you're the first person to say zombie movies is a favorite subgenre. You know, we usually get a lot of the same slashers and, you know, et cetera. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, the, I think zombies is a, is a first. So that's exciting to hear. Yeah, I mean, uh, we get uh, listeners of the show know my uh, my disdain for zombie movies. Uh, you guys can uh, go back and uh, listen to our Train Busan episode for a little bit more thoughts on that. And it, it's so funny because even though, like, obviously Twilight is about vampires and werewolves and stuff, I don't even think of it in the vampire movie subgenre <laughs> most of the time. Like, because like Twilight is just kind of its own thing. Like, it's its yeah. own little corner entity of this weird. Uh, campy, romantic, kind of uh, also cringy at times, but that's also part of it, you know? So it's like yeah. Twilight kind of belongs in its own subgenre, honestly. 
I really remember that but time. as you get like oh, in more into the movies, there's like some really like raunchy stuff happening. Like especially with when she has the baby and he has to yeah. eat it out of her belly. Like that stuff's really gross. Oh, the, I, the, the, the imprint, uh, imprinting also yes. is gross, but for totally <laughs> different reasons. <laughs> I, I've mentioned multiple times that Breaking Dawn Part One is the most underrated of the series because of the body <laughs> horror in that third act. Like, I mean, whenever she uh, breaks her back, like is standing there and just oh, breaks gosh. her back randomly. <laughs> oh, oh, that's like a terrifying sa- sound. Yes, it is really. Ugh. I really didn't think that we would be diving into Twilight talk here during Hitchcock <laughs> month, but uh, here we are. I think the show is better for it, to be honest. <laughs> it it, it oh. was almost going to be uh, my pitch for you for February, Gary. Oh, God. <laughs> you, oh, God. You, you got lucky. It was going to be my pitch for February, and it was also possibly going to be my birthday month one. I was I was like, where can I subject Garrett to the Twilight movies? You know what? We'll save those for the commentaries, maybe, for Patreon. Ooh. That'd be a good spot Ooh, for that's those. That's a good one. Yeah. That would be a fun one to commentate on. And uh, marathon them, and then by the fourth one i'm just sitting there my eyes are bleeding (laughs) melting out of my skull (laughs) oh man well Um, if you don't know anything the fifth one the ending of the fifth one is like wild oh no i've seen them to be clear okay okay okay. i I had an older sister at the time Uh, and and subject to to them so uh yeah uh the twilight twilight aside yeah i remember the vampire like that craze so so clearly back in like the mid 2000s it's it's still you know the 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 effects are still being felt today (laughs) i wonder i i feel like hitchcock would be a fan of the twilight movies honestly (laughs) it has enough weird energy that for some reason i feel like he'd be into it as Uh, somebody who appreciates pure cinema of course alfred hitchcock (laughs) would like the twilight of course (laughs) Uh, Lexi, uh, what is uh, some of your background on uh, Hitchcock? How do you feel about uh, him in general as a director, uh, his films? Uh... Um, I have many complicated feelings about him. Um, I think he, I did an episode on my first season in cinematography on North by Northwest, which is his, which a lot of people say is like one of the first Bond movies and one of the first like thrillers. I think he, it, he has covered so much ground he covered so much ground in his career it's impossible not to discuss him because his like tentacles go everywhere um but i think there there's not enough discussion although it's very prevalently known that he was kind of a scumbag that he was a scumbag and not a very nice person mm-hmm. um and i think that that is something that we always have to discuss when we're discussing hitchcock and i don't think it's discussed enough yeah, I think uh, we had teased a little bit of that <laughs> last week, um, and I think it really deserves to be talked about this week, uh, especially. I think The Birds is kind of his most controversial film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a lot of the stuff that happened in the behind the scenes, we'll get to it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's 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 hard to talk about. I think a lot of filmmakers, actors included, mm-hmm. in this time period, because a lot of these actors kind of come with a caveat of like, yeah, they were also probably a piece of of shit. They were super talented though, (laughs) but they're also kind of a piece of shit here too. So I think uh, the birds, a lot of the, the controversy and the behind the scenes details are, are, are pretty nuanced, um, which I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, a lot of uh, pretty unacceptable stuff happened uh, uh, behind the curtain of this film. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely be getting into it. Yeah. He's definitely a, you know, shining example of, you know, <laughs> you can be a, you know, great at something and, you know, contribute a lot of things, but then, you know, it still doesn't 
uh, quite no. uh, excuse the the behaviors. But uh, so let's go ahead and uh, get into the movie before we uh, get into some more of the murky waters here. So let's hop into the birds. The Birds, released March 28, 1963, directed by one Freddie Hitchcock. Uh, this was uh, written by Evan Hunter, uh, who is primarily known as an author and only wrote four screenplays. Um, uh, this was uh, kind of based on the short story, The Birds, as well, and mm -hmm. as well as influenced by a real-life event of uh, birds attacking a coastal town of uh, Capitola, California, uh, two years earlier prior to the film. Uh, so Hitchcock, uh, early on in the based-on-true-events stuff, uh, you know, it would have been, like, you know, hilarious if that actually um, was in the at the beginning uh, credits of this, but uh, we hadn't quite got there yet as far as uh, tapping into these inspired by real life events. And then uh, we do have um, some returning crew members. Um, you know, we got Robert Burks back again, who shot last week's uh, movie Rear Window, as well as uh, 12 other Hitchcock films. Um, this was edited by George Tomasini, uh, again, from last week, uh, did Rear Window. And uh, but the score, there's no composer. There's no no score or credited composer. However, um, Bernard Herrmann did uh, consult on a lot of the sound design for this. Uh, but so the score uh, is just the birds. Uh, that that's the composer for for this one. Um, and at the box office, uh, this one did about 11.4 million on a 3.3 million dollar budget. And um, and with these numbers, guys, um, I don't know about adjusted for inflation stuff and what that even actually means half the time. So I'm just going by um, you know what Wikipedia has given me. Um, uh, uh, Lexi, what do you think uh, the percentage for this is on Rotten Tomatoes? It has 64 reviews. Um, 80. Oh. Uh, it's it's higher. It's uh it's sitting at ninety four percent. Okay. Um, which is uh you know pretty solid. Uh, again, that's really good actually. I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is like kind of you never really know where it's gonna lie. It's always the edge on the air of caution because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of people like go in there and just like randomly slam stuff. Yeah, it's always tough too with a lot of these <laughs> older films because a lot of these reviews yes, are like modern day critics, like uh -huh. going back and in, in reviewing these films. And of course, with something like Alfred Hitchcock and the Birds, you know, there's there's a bit of bias going in. I'm sure if you ask <laughs> critics at the time what they thought of this, I'm sure the score would be quite different. That's yeah. very true. I'll maybe for next week I'll have to uh, find some like newspaper articles from from the time and maybe get a. a, a... Sure. You know, just a clip from a radio show. I was like, I saw Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, and it's garbage. On the it's garbage. <laughs> I, I hope I hope there is a review somewhere out there like that. Uh, Garrett, uh, what do you think the Letterbox average rating is sitting at? Um, I think that considering the, a lot of the controversy that uh, kind of follows this film, I'm, uh, this film, I'm sure a lot of people went back uh, and saw it maybe a little less favorably. So I'm going to say it's probably like a 3.3 on Letterbox. It is sitting at a 3.8 out of 5. Uh, 3.8 out of 5, and I was looking at the curve. It uh, it very much doesn't have too many, um, like, four or five-star reviews. or there, There's quite a few four-star reviews, but not many uh, 4.5s or 5s um, yeah. in there. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, Lexi, you chose this movie uh, to talk about today. Well, you gave me a few options, and uh, this one uh, seemed like uh, the, the most interesting, at least for me. Um, so uh, what, what are your general thoughts on the birds? Um, I, I have a lot of history with this movie just because I am not from the area where it's filmed, but I'm relatively close to it. 
so it it's kind of always been in the background of my head of like like this you have this little piece of movie history here um so and i've seen it a few times growing up never really made the connection it was like a hitchcock like when i was younger because i had no really frame for it except for the fact that he also directed rebecca which is one of my mom's favorite movies um i did not realize that this was based on a short story that the same author wrote which is kind of cool yeah the the short story that this is based off of really has nothing in common other than the title and the fact that it's a story about birds attacking so Uh hitch was kind of known for that we talked about that in rear window too to Uh where like the whole romance side of that wasn't a part of the story and i find it interesting that yet again he's like this is missing something you know it's missing missing kissing that's what we need (laughs) uh so yeah al's uh, apparently a big softie when it comes to romance Yeah, and uh, Garrett, I know um, you were uh, had kind of some some back and forth feelings about the bird. So, uh, how do you feel on uh, this rewatch? Yeah, this is uh, one of the first introductions that I had to Hitchcock when I was younger, and I remember really liking the film. And there were a few key sequences, especially towards the end of the movie, uh, and a few key shots as well, which we'll definitely discuss. That just freaked the shit out of me. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. like birds. I think birds are kind of freaky. Um, it's not like I'll be walking down the street and I'll see a bird and I'll be like, ah. <laughs> but it's like if one like flew nearby me, I'd be like, oh shit, you know. Like I'm just I'm not a fan of birds. I wouldn't want to like hold a bird or something like that. Just not about that life you know and this movie may be responsible for that i'm not entirely (laughs) sure um but going back and rewatching the film i think that i like not love this movie because i just don't think that this film plays to hitchcock's strengths as a filmmaker i don't think it's terribly flashy it's super hyper technical from like a filmmaking perspective and i think some of that does get kind of in the way of where you're trying to shoot these very complicated scenes and there's a lot of visual effects in the film and using real life birds and and animatronic and like puppet birds and all of these things and i think that hitchcock just gets a bit lost in the sauce because i think a lot of the character work in this is just not it for me i think a lot of the relationships in this movie i feel are kind of uh inconsequential come the end of the film you know i think that you could replace the first like two-thirds of this movie with completely different characters completely different relationships but keep the end of the movie and it's kind of still the same you know i feel like there's a big part of this movie that just doesn't really affect the the end of the film in regards to these characters and the relationships and the struggles that they're having all of these things uh it just doesn't really click for me however the last like 30 45 minutes of this movie are fantastic super tense super creepy and like just kind of like downright harrowing in a weird way uh but there is a lot of this film that i am surprised that hitchcock doesn't do you know better with in regards to romance and relationships and this kind of small town drama a lot of that stuff doesn't click with me instead a lot of the things that does work is more of like the monster movie sort of aspects of the film which i i think we'll definitely talk about is kind of the the effects that this movie had and the dna that is found in 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 subsequent films but yeah for me i like the film it's just it doesn't really hit me because i think hitchcock is more than just spectacle and horror and thrills i think his character work uh is really well done too uh and i think that this movie is not super super strong in all those aspects Fascinating. So this is uh, this was an interesting watch for me. Um, I'm actually very excited about it because so I had seen this a couple times, um, but it was either while I was young or the last time I watched it, I just kind of had it on the background while I was uh, doing stuff. And 
So this was kind of the first time I like truly watched it. And, uh, you know, it's not the silly movie that people think it is, you know, because like you said, those last 30 minutes are very harrowing indeed. And uh, I think it's kind of masterful in the way that Hitchcock shifts the tones of this. Like this is a this is a two hour movie and he, you know, really takes his time with it. And in the, you know, this first hour where you're just getting to know these characters, uh, it's, you know, there's like no inklings of you know the 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 suspense and thrills that we're gonna get like a you know she gets attacked by a bird like once uh once she gets into the town and like that's really about uh, until things actually start going that's really about it so you are just kind of watching this uh blossoming romance between two lovebirds which you know very on the Uh nose there hitchy um and but for me I'm in it. Like I, I, I loved watching the um, the interactions between these characters. Um, I thought was uh, very interesting, especially once they actually get to uh, Bodega Bay and like you kind of are seeing uh, Melanie uh, interact with different people that know things and like you know know that she's bullshitting, but she still is like kind of thinking that she's not. You know, so it's like uh, in the first hour, I really love watching these kind of juicy interactions, like kind of uh, come together and the the subtle looks that people. Give give when they know other things that another character doesn't and uh, I was very much into it. I mean you guys know uh, the listeners know that I love you know my small town dramas and whatnot and I think uh, there's just enough of each character you know to where you're kind of uh, you know each kind of town member has like a, a, a little moment to shine in some scene or another you know uh, it's a very big ensemble cast and we talked about last week how there's a difference between the way that Hitchcock um, directs his more contained thrillers and single location stuff versus uh whenever he's out and about in the world you know like uh, garrett mentioned he has a little less control over uh you know things and like he's not as meticulous with it but here um i think it's a uh, very fascinating uh kind of just watching uh this romance and the way that it just slowly slowly turns into um something kind of more sinister which will kind of um uh will get into in movie math a little bit later um but yeah so like this uh this one i had a really good time with it like i was laughing a lot i was intrigued uh and then once the the horror does kick in it's very effective um and i find and you know i love disaster movies and animal attack movies and things like that so like um i was kind of getting the best of both worlds as far as like i really enjoyed uh the the character driven first half and then i also really enjoyed the uh more thrilling second half uh so excited to dive in a little bit deeper uh lexi are you prepared to give us a 60 second synopsis oh i will try my best all righty i got you here on the clock in three two one go uh melanie tippy hedron meets uh the guy and i can't remember his name in a bird shop and they kind of meet cute slash meet weird and kind of flirt a little bit <laughs> and she tracks him down to the small town of Bodega Bay and gives him these lovebirds and they she kind of gets entangled in their lives and as this happened more uh, more and more bird attacks slowly start happening until you finally have all the birds attacking everyone and uh, they make it out. Yeah, yeah, barely. They barely make it out um, <laughs> with a nice enough uh, time uh, left on the clock here for, for such a hefty movie. Uh, you really were able to uh, kind of break it down into its simplest I mean, that's part. The, that's the sim- simple, very mm-hmm. simple outline of the movie. Oh, yeah. But no. There's way more happening. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot uh, going on here, um, you know, and especially in the subgenre department. 
Um, so for some of the subgenres, I mean, we kind of mentioned a few of them in our initial thoughts. You know, we got some romance, we got some small town drama. Uh, Lexi, what are the uh, subgenre elements that uh, work best for you? Um, I would say, I know this is kind of a reading that I've, you know, read a little bit about and heard other people talk about is there's kind of this like erotic thriller element underneath like tones because they people always feel that there's more uh chemistry between Suzanne Planchette and T Tippi Hedren than there are mm -hmm. between Tippi Hedren and the lead and that there's like this like kind of bubbling tension with them throughout the movie and so I feel like that's definitely a part of it and as I rewatched it this time I was definitely more in tune with that their discussions and their interactions than anything else happening and yeah that was like one of them and of course the you know animal attack were yeah what about you garrett yeah you had mentioned the small town drama and i think it's really easy to draw like a straight line between this and stephen king uh and mm. i'm sure uh, that will definitely play into our movie math but i can think of more than a few stephen king stories that really are about this outsider coming into this small town where everybody kind of knows each other's name and trouble starts to to you know come about and then they're like mm, it, it, this didn't happen until you step foot in the town you know there's there's a whole lot of that <laughs> at its core but Devon had also mentioned and he's, he's exactly right is like the first half of this movie is like this weird kind of rom-com where there is a meet cue at like this this shop and Tippy Hedren's character goes well out of her way to like meet this man <laughs> drives like two hours <laughs> well over two hours to drop uh, some birds off for this guy so yeah uh, Hitchcock is really trying to invest a lot of time in to this romantic relationship to try to you know uh, have the audience care more about the uh, the film but yeah it really is these two characters in this small town as this natural sort of disaster uh, kind of uh, unfolds before them yeah the the romance is interesting because i mean it, yeah it's a little bit weird it's a little stalkery uh in in kind of a way and it was uh, kind of surprising uh watching because i mean not only do we in general not really see the the female lead be the one that is the more instigating and the more uh forward one and like you know really doing all the things especially not back in the 60s as well you know so i found melanie's character uh very fascinating just overall and uh kind of the way that uh, she goes about but with the romance uh which we'll get into a little bit more here uh in a bit is it it feels uh you know very primal i think that's like kind of the connection that it has to the animal attack where it's like uh you know sh they just like kind of have this instant spark and like she is just like kind of pulled to him and she's like compelled to uh you know find all this information about him track him down go out there all on a whim you know like they literally just met once it's not like they actually had a date or anything you know yeah. like this is literally just after meeting each other so like there's there was just something about you know the mitch that she was just very drawn to and mitch is very uh plays it so cool throughout the movie like imagine rod taylor having to you know play it this cool uh whenever uh, you're uh, dealing with Tippy Hedren here, uh, just like Thurston in your face. And he's like, I mean, he's playing as cool as possible. Like he really does. Um, so yeah, so the, the, I, that's the way I kind of saw that the romance, um, adds into, uh, you know, is why it's connected. Like why this doesn't feel like two separate movies that you're watching. Like there's, there's some sort of like primal link there. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be, uh, talking um, some more Stephen King references uh, tease you guys. Me and Garrett both have a, a 
Stephen King movie in our movie math. So uh, you guys, as you're listening, can guess uh, which ones are going to pop <laughs> up in, in movie math. Because, yeah, I love uh, I'm just a sucker for small town drama. It's the, the Midwest in me and getting to see these characters interact and, um, you know, just like kind of learning about the connections that they have with each other through these conversations. And uh, and there's a paranoia aspect as well, like with this uh, kind of uh, kind of nihilistic thinking in a way of, you know, when they're kind of theorizing on why this is all happening. And it's like, you know, they're skeptical. Is it because of her? Is it because of God? Or is there a war coming? Like all these things. Uh, and uh, the paranoia just like kind of ramps up, you know, very quickly because, you know, birds are just kind of, they're everywhere. You know, you're so used to just birds being around and like, mm-hmm. you know, they're generally depicted as being innocent uh, creatures and kind of things like that. So it's like, uh, it's a uh, very innocuous. So like the paranoia uh, is even more because you're just like, well, you know, birds could have been doing this the whole time if they wanted. So yeah. why now? You know, so like the the paranoia I found uh, very fascinating as well. Um, so let's go ahead and get into um, some of the characters here um, because we do have um, we have uh, <clears throat> Melanie Daniels played by Tippi Hedren, who is pursuing uh, Mitch Brenner played by Rod Taylor. And then uh, Lexi mentioned uh, Annie Hayworth, played by Suzanne Plachette. And, um, yeah, there's um, a a very interesting dynamic between them two. So, like, what were your initial thoughts, Lexi, on um, Mitch and Annie's kind of dynamic here? So it's very much uh, she still loves him. He doesn't love her. But she is, like, keeping, uh, like, almost the, the friend zone distance by being in this moving to this town where his family lives and being a school teacher there um she (laughs) and so it it, but he's totally okay with being admired by her still from afar and just you know living his life it's a very odd dynamic to have in in the middle of this movie i i feel i was just like i don't I know, I feel like always Hitchcock is trying to, is playing like a dollhouse when he's playing with his characters. Because he always picks these idealized characterizations of women and men as his leads. And I feel like that's kind of what he's playing out in this love triangle that's happening. Yeah, it's a pretty odd love triangle, too, because it's between this man, this woman, and his mom, uh, which is also something (laughs) that is pretty common in a lot of Hitchcock movies as well. Um, I think a bit of my frustration that I have is I think that Hitchcock kind of covers similar ground here that he does in a couple other movies. I think most notably uh, Rebecca is uh, such a a film that is also about this outsider who kind of comes into this family and then the mother or, you know, this motherly figure in Rebecca being like the the, the help, you know, kind of having this idea of like, oh, you'll never fit those shoes or you'll never never be good enough for this man, you know? And I, I think that the shadow of that sort of pressure I think looms over Rebecca a bit more in a compelling way because it directly impacts the plot to where the birds and the randomness and the chaos I think uh, serves a completely separate uh, uh, you know does something different that I think Hitchcock is trying to communicate uh, and I don't think the relationship necessarily like feeds off into that conflict as well Um, whereas I think that Hitchcock is really trying to say something about um chaos and when you have something kind of as innocuous as a bird again like devon had mentioned just kind of around around and out and about you know the the terror that can come from that sort of uh everyday 
you know, sort of uh, occurrence. Because I, I think it's worth noting, too, that this is, you know, after Psycho and Hitchcock's career, the early 60s, where we just finished up a decade that was filled with like monsters and science fiction and you know the blob and the thing from another world and it came from outer space and all of these like sci-fi horror sort of leanings that i i admire that hitchcock went in a bit of a different direction you know he's he made a monster movie with the least scary thing that he could just being like a, a bird or you know lovebirds these tiny again kind of innocuous things and what horror can we derive from that so yeah i think what hitchcock is doing here is far as like a monster movie perspective i'm really compelled uh, compelled by the character stuff just not as much which is rare for me because I, I think hitchcock usually again is able to succeed in both yeah i think i think there's a lot of interesting dynamics and um i still haven't seen rebecca yet so i can't exactly um comment on that but as far mm -hmm. as like you know uh, again with this setup with melanie that she is this socialite and which uh, you know a character archetype that he does enjoy uh with a lot of his characters and you know and like we learn later on she like doesn't even actually have a job she like you know like yeah. kind of offer like what is it she offers up words to people or, or some shit like that i was like what what are you t and it, it like kind of felt like something that like somebody would say now and you know uh, they have like just like kind of yeah so she has she a lot influencer she basically <laughs> is yeah she, she is an influencer and um so she has all this time on her hands you know so i think she's you know on one hand she wants excitement and she tries to you know she does all these different things she goes and does this she goes shopping here she checks up on you know she she does all these things to like kind of fill her time so i think whenever she meets mitch it's um one he's you know witty and bantering back with her and all these things and but he's also like mysterious you know like she's like oh i can't quite figure him out and he's also not impressed by me what why is that you know um mm -hmm. so i think it's interesting watching from that meet cute and then as um she spends more time with him in the town and then all these things kind of happen um you can also see that because at first it it feels you know kind of creepy and stalkerish but then as soon as like she does start to like kind of spend time with him in the town uh you can see that you know she's not really um she she might be kind of over all you know all these like kind of excitement and all these things and she kind of wants the stability that he brings and the groundness you know like he is like kind of just a very firm guy he has a job he makes good money he loves his mom and sister like i mean well, what else can you ask for you know and like so it's part of that that I think she's a uh, uh, kind of attracted to uh, just like the the stability angle of it. Um, but then as soon as you know she's kind of coming around to the idea of oh like you know like we could have this like cute little life where we come over to his coastal town and hang out with his family and stuff. Then it's upended by you know this catastrophe, uh, which also you know kind of brings them together and they also this is where they get to see the real versions of each other you know like they've barely they barely know each other and i mean melanie spends a lot of time lying throughout the movie you know and uh things like that so it's like once the catastrophe hits this is where they're seeing their true forms you know and uh kind of bonding in that way so like uh, i i find melanie uh endlessly compelling in this film and the the kind of the love triangle um idea pretty compelling because you have this uh character of the the mother um whose name is Lind uh, lydia uh, and lydia is even admits that like after she you know loses 
her husband that she is just kind of crumbles as a person like she's so afraid to be alone and the idea of this young woman coming in and taking away her son is completely like debilitating to her so every woman is just not good enough because she's kind of afraid of, of being alone herself and i i think a lot of conflict is able to come out of that because you know she could be described as kind of a coward where, where melanie is a bit more you know, uh, full of life and is is willing to take risks and get in trouble. There's even a few stories about her, you know, living in Rome and, in you know, I, they talk about like, oh, I read about her in the gossip columns. And I'm like, was that just a <laughs> thing back in the day where people just it reading was. like fucking tea about just yep. other random people? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, Hitch does have a lot of fun kind of uh, playing within that. But the idea of having this like, motherly figure who like has their thumb over everything is something that appears so much in Hitchcock's movies that I'm kind of like man I'm sure his therapist was having a ball with that one (laughs) yeah I think the the whole uh Melanie and the mom dynamic and then also Annie the Susan Pantry character is like a very interesting we have like a love square yeah exactly because yeah because I feel like Lydia sees herself in Melanie which is why she likes her and the only reason she ended up coming around on Annie is because she wasn't dating her son anymore. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like there's like this, Lydia's like, oh, they also are kind of styled similarly. If you didn't notice, like their hair looks the same and all, oh, of, and, yeah. and all of that stuff. Like they're very, they're kind of look like they're supposed to be mirrors of each other a little bit, like older and younger versions. Um, And then also to tie back into the romance, I feel like, this is where this idea of you know once you go through something this horrific how how could you not be in love with the other person Mm -hmm. (laughs) that kind of idea i mean i'm sure it was in movies before but like this is really because he takes the time to develop these characters so much it's really where you see this first um kind of seeds of this you know uh kind of end of days or and you know whatever scenario horror mm-hmm. scenarios that come in movies uh moving forward where it really because he really as you said before like he really takes the time to develop his characters i feel like in a lot of these movies beforehand it's like you just jump to it like you maybe meet people by name only and then like you get like a few sentences of backstory and then this one it's like he takes his time to set it all up so you are compelled and then you're also you feel that kind of tragedy at the end when Annie dies of how like sad, like they, how much weight that carries at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he kind of brings trauma bonding uh, up, up a few <laughs> levels in this movie. Uh, you know, the idea, like you said, of like, you know, once you kind of uh, go through this and, and I feel like uh, Freud would get a real hard on for the idea of, you know, the mom, the husband passing away and then like kind of needing her son to fill the role back of left by the husband. That's such a weird, uh, I mean, it's like, it makes sense, you know, like, like, but at the same time, it's like underlyingly, it's still a little bit weird. And just wait till we talk about fucking psycho man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and, 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 and with Annie, uh, it's interesting because like, yeah, like I, I kind of like in some of the glances I saw, I kind of see uh, some of the theories about the the sexual tension uh, between them. And because at first I like when I wrote it down, I was like, I was like, Annie knows that Melanie's bullshitting this whole thing. But yeah. like she's still like kind of giving her advice and like kind of on her side. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Annie's kind of a real one. But then when you think about it, it's like, 
oh, is she only going along with this so she has a chance to get back into Mitch's life and get closer to Mitch again? So uh, it's is it that or is it like is that or is uh, you know she's like oh like you you don't want to like here I'll I'll allow you to meet Mitch and his uh, mom and then uh, you're gonna hate the mom so then hey. I'm here if you need me, you know, is a kind of a little bit of the vibe that you get from Annie. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk about some of these technical aspects. Um, you know, we have kind of mentioned the, uh, the, the pacing of this movie. Um, I could see people saying that maybe it takes too long or again, like that it kind of feels like two different movies possibly as I kind of some of the things I saw in uh, some of the lower reviews on Letterboxd. And uh, I think I think it, the pacing just works really well because these characters are so charismatic and like this movie is really funny. Like we talked about last week uh, with Rear Window, Hitchcock is a pretty like funny guy and a lot. Of, I think his comedy is kind of uh, not talked about enough in a lot of his films. And so so between that, I think the pacing uh, really does work. And I uh, I just love um, the uh, setup of Bodega Bay, like uh, the way that he presents uh, kind of this town and uh, uses it into the story, you know, with all these different things. And uh, he just uh, really like maps out like, you know, you, like I felt like by the end of this movie, I could get around Bodega Bay. Like I know, <laughs> you know, I know where the diner is now. I know where to get the boats. I know where the school is. Um, I know where everybody's houses are, you know, so it's like uh, he does a really good job of uh, presenting the the location and using it into the film. Uh, Lexi, what are uh, some of the technical aspects that uh, really kind of work for you? Well, I think that this movie looks like the bird effects look pretty good in general for being like, I don't know, it's been 80 years, I guess, at this point since this movie was made um, or almost. Uh, I think the... Because this was these effects were all done by Disney, which is kind of interesting. Um, it was done in their effects studio, and it's like matte painting with a blue screen, and I and you see it. In, and I also I didn't get to look into it, but I wanted to. The scene with the birds on the jungle gym about how they got like the birds to like slowly gather. I'm sure they just used feed or some kind of thing, mm -hmm. but that is like one of the better tension filled scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's it's tough to talk about this film from its technical aspects because I feel like there are a number of different like corners yeah. that you can go into. Uh, you can talk about like the lack of practical effects yeah. in some scenes, which was like you know we, we'll get into it. Yeah. Um, but the yeah the thing you had mentioned uh, the blue screen, uh, the technology that they used in this film was actually a yellow screen, mm -hmm. and it was this called like the sodium vapor process, and it had originated at Disney, and they kind of had went there mm -hmm. uh, to like you know essentially go to the the place where it had been uh, perfected to try to uh, iron out some of the kinks because Hitchcock is not like a super um, uh, special effects like heavy filmmaker a lot of his stuff again the suspense has come comes out of uh, uh, characters and when he came to America obviously had more resources at his disposal and so his his scope got to become more grand and again at this time he had made psycho so he was allowed to kind of do stuff like this um, and yeah the the process the chemical process that they they uh, use here instead of blue screen 
not going to get into the weeds of everything, but it's just a bit more precise, <laughs> a bit more exact than the blue yeah. screen was, especially at the time. Blue screen was just super noticeable and to have birds and their wings flapping and everything like keying that out at the time is just impossible. So they had to use a special technology. And I think that that is still pretty fantastic. Like I think a lot of the comp work of the birds and these like backgrounds uh, in front of the actors who are just literally running on treadmills, like all of that stuff looks great. There's a lot of excellent matte paintings in the film as mm -hmm. well. There's a this really nice aerial shot uh, of the entire Bodega Bay town where there's like a big fire happening. Most of that is a matte painting, which is actually pretty fantastic. I like a lot of the sound design as well in this. They do like some interesting kind of like remixes and it's like, it's very like sonically, this movie's quite a lot. It's like, it's very overpowering at times and can, you know, almost be, you know, infringing on grading a little bit just because of like how many squawks and squeaks there are that, you know, it becomes overwhelming, but in like an immersive sort of way. So yeah, I think what Hitchcock is able to achieve in the film on a technical level, uh, special effects wise, I, I, I think is really impressive, but this isn't like a super flashy movie for him camera wise, like the way he shoots this film, especially compared to something like Rear Window or Vertigo or, uh, you know, you mentioned North by Northwest as well. I think there's so many more kind of look how you know hot shit i am where this he kind of shoots it a little bit matter of fact so other than the the special effects shots i think actually hitchcock is a bit reserved in this movie personally yeah because because it's like i said before like he, there's a difference whenever he has like the the tighter stuff that he has more control over versus this because i feel like the more flashy shots are like the when we're inside like there's like yeah. a there's a really cool uh shot with um with melanie and annie like both smoking cigarettes and like melanie is like excited to talk about mitch and then you see annie like kind of smoking a cigarette and like kind of having like a like eye roll like kind of look on her face so it's like you know and then once they get into uh, once they're trapped in the house uh, in the later in the third act of the film, uh, then that's when we kind of are starting to get some of these pans and we're getting some of these, um, you know, things that we more know him for versus, like you said, like when we're kind of out and about, he's just kind of shooting it as is like and yeah. I think that does kind of uh, I think the restraint does kind of add into that lived in. Uh, feeling that we get from Bodega Bay, but um, uh, with the the sound design, which is funny because, yeah, the 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 bird stuff uh, can be a little uh grading to a degree, but I'll say this might have been the first time that Calcifer like sat and like watched an entire movie with me because he was entranced <laughs> by the bird sounds. Like he literally was like watching the movie intently and he stayed there like the entire time. Get him time. on the podcast, man. I yeah, got to get his movie math. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know math. He's only three. Oh, um, right. Uh, um, but yeah, so like, uh, I think it was an interesting choice too to not have a score in this, like because a lot of Hitchcock movies are known for these uh, really great bombastic scores that are very interesting and things like that. And I mean, we talked in Rear Window how we did it in a different way with it mainly being diegetic with uh, somebody playing yeah. piano in the film. And then this one, the the lack of uh, score besides the birds, you know, like, uh, you know, I love the opening credits. That's just the opening credits with the bird sounds, nothing else mm -hmm. to it. Uh, really kind of sets the tone but with the lack of score um it's a uh, one you're kind of again like kind of more interested in the conversations that the characters are having and you're kind of able to just kind of focus on that but then the lack of sound too makes those the the last 20 minutes in particular hit super hard like the last 20 minutes are super quiet people are hardly speaking because they are just so shook by the situation and so the yeah. silence just like really lets you like sit in this like 
uncomfortable feeling uh, with these characters. Uh, so I, I found that like really uh, interesting. You were yeah, talking you about also the... hear. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. You can also like it makes you hyper aware when the birds are there, like mm-hmm. when you start hearing those sounds. And then, oh, I was going to talk about the the sound design with the scene at the playground. You hear the the children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round, I was going to say the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. that is uh, a scene that I remember watching in in college, and they're like, "You pay attention to this scene, and what do you what yeah. do you pick up on?" And the and it was this scene, and you're just like, "Oh, the the using the roundabout song." is another way of building the tension and as they turn to the birds slowly gathering on the jungle gym yeah yeah i that scene is probably my favorite scene in this and, and one of my favorite scenes in like the latter half of hitchcock's career because mm-hmm. for, for those of you who haven't seen the movie in a while like she's at this school trying to save the kids because there was just this terrible attack and she's trying to warn everybody so she gets there but they're like having class and the the uh, Annie is like, oh, yeah, I'll get with you after class. And so she goes outside by like the playground and she's smoking a cigarette like nervously. Meanwhile, these birds are flying on the jungle gym and landing. Let's like kind of one at a time. But what I love about what Hitchcock does is he lets you in again. Like this is such a big thing. And we talked about it in Rear Window is Hitchcock has so much fun in like letting the audience in on information that the characters aren't in on and like what suspense can we derive from that. So the fact that she doesn't know that any birds are around her sitting there smoking the cigarette nervous about these, <laughs> the birds are going to be here soon. <laughs> Little does she know, you know, but then it cuts to her smoking the cigarette for like 20 seconds, which feels like an eternity mm-hmm. cuts back to the bird the jungle gym and it's completely filled with birds and you're right like the the kids singing that kind of nursery rhyme song in the background is really unsettling and creepy and but Hitchcock was so intentional about wanting to have that as a, a part of the scene that he even hired uh somebody to f- write more lyrics to the song because it's not a very long song <laughs> yeah. uh, and it didn't fit the entire runtime of the scene so somebody had to come in and continue to write the rest of the song and apparently they still get royalties from the <laughs> lyrics that they wrote in that scene which i think is really really great but it just shows you how meticulous you know hitchcock is that he wants this diegetic uh you know the the, the sounds within the movie the characters can can hear you know it's not just the audience and what is the kind of the fun that we can get out of that but i just feel like watching this you're just watching hitchcock just kind of rub his little hands together and he just knows what he's doing man it's such a great scene it, it really is and i i love that you knew that fact because like in my notes i go why is there eight verses to this song <laughs> i was like i've never i don't know what this song is but they're spitting bars uh like yeah. i mean and like i i give I I give these kids credit for knowing all these lyrics like i mean they had a lot yeah. of words and stuff going but like you said like it, it there's a progression to it because at first i start off laughing at this scene i'm just like these kids are singing these like funny lyrics and they're kind of uh, yeah. uh describing melanie uh in a way as well um so there's kind of that angle and like you said just the song goes on for so long that it makes it get creepy you, it has yeah. that hypnotic effect on you uh and that's just like okay uh can this song please end and he's like no 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 he's like we haven't even gotten to the bridge yet uh as as he like kind of keeps on going and yeah the way the camera goes back and forth between melanie and and the the long shot that they hold on the crows too like there's this shot and like you're holding on it and it's like okay is the attack gonna start now and it's like "Mm, not quite and then he you know then we uh go inside and then you know the the attack happens and 
Um, I really uh, love this scene. I love that Hitchcock says, fuck them kids. Uh, has, you know, because, the, I mean, literally, first uh, the, the first bird's attack is at a birthday party. Assholes. And then, and then now they're attacking these kids out of the school. Like, Hitchcock don't give a fuck about them kids. Uh, and I, I think, you know, talk about this scene as a nice segue into kind of the, the more horror elements of the film. Um, so like, obviously like this scene works very well as kind of a showcase. Again, he is the master of suspense. This is what he does. Um, but also, um, uh, how, how did you guys feel about the transition from the kind of very light and fun and charming angles of the uh, first half into, uh, the, the attacks that, uh, you know, and as the town kind of descends into madness. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, a lot of the character stuff like early on in this film isn't super for, for me, but as expected, Hitchcock dulls out the suspense in, I think, a really genius way to where uh, it's it kind of sneaks up on you, you know, that you, as an audience member, you're, of course, kind of thirsty for something like this. As a, this is the movie where the birds attack people. You kind of want to see the birds attack people. And I think Hitchcock does a good job of kind of drip feeding the audience, you know, giving them enough along the way. And I think one of my favorite things about this is kind of how it's structured, where I think in a lesser film, the climax of the movie would be the the scene with the diner and the scene with all the fire and the explosions and all the craziness somebody somebody gets lit on fire you know <laughs> like and <laughs> dies from like this explosion from smoking a cigarette but I, what i love about that is hitchcock uses that scene to set up stakes of like this is what they're capable of that way in the scene later where they're in the house and they're trapped in the house and they're trying to sneak out it's a much quieter scene but i think it's so much more tense where he's trying to like roll the car out because again you've seen what these birds are capable of and there's a reason that Hitchcock is called the master of suspense and I think just this simple you know change in structure where I think a lesser filmmaker would have probably reversed it I think this movie is all better for it yeah, yeah I, I love the scene in the diner and you can see how that like as you're talking about with Stephen King like that reminds me of the mist like all these films where it's like the people have to congregate in a communal space to yeah uh discuss what's happening and of course that there's a yeah i can't remember i can't remember how to say it i think it's orthonologist the bird <laughs> that's close enough <laughs> bird lady, is bird lady. <laughs> who is like birds aren't capable of doing that they're just not and then a few minutes later after all this happens she's like also trembling in the diner scared of these birds yeah. so they've also got like the bible thumping like yep. oh it's the end of time uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. it's, it's got all the the, the key ingredients and again you would see it you in later <laughs> yeah exactly they, literally they're all here in the diner because yeah like I, I feel like like you guys said like this is the tipping point because like the the bird attack at the birthday party it's like okay that was kind of weird and random like what yeah. was that all about yeah. and like we had had the inklings of like she got hit by the goal on her way into town and then uh when she's at annie's house a, a bird flies into into the door and this diner scene is yeah it's it's definitely ripped out of uh or well stephen king ripped it out of here more likely um because yeah i love just hearing the different theories um you know you have one person that you know she she's trying to explain this and again this is another time that this movie hits different in a post-covid lockdown world um yeah. where it's like uh she's literally telling you like hey this happened this whole thing happened there's like mm, i don't believe you uh you're kind of crazy uh it's not like that and like you said like mm -hmm. the bird lady being like very condescending about the whole thing but she does 
have an interesting line talking about like, well, birds aren't capable of this. It's, it's good to be because of mankind. Like, you know, like mankind always has a way of stirring up trouble and angering. So it's like, it's uh, not the birds out to get us and like forming, forming a squad, you know? And, yeah. and, and the scene, um, and, and it's, it's just this buildup, like, cause this diner scene goes on for quite a bit. You know, you got the lady that's like, stop scaring the kids. You got the, uh, you got the drunk guy, uh, sitting at the bar, you know, like drinking at like what? 11 AM. And he's got, <laughs> he says, he says a, a, a scotch, hold the water. <laughs> it's like my, my man and my brother in Christ, it's nine 30 in the morning. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then just when everything goes to shit, I mean, I like, I can't remember a movie, you know, uh, did, did Hitchcock invent zero to 100? Because like, I mean, it, is literally within 30 seconds that goes from guy getting hit by one of the birds to things are on fire exploding and i thought that was like such a cool i kind of like forgot about that scene i was like i was like oh shit i was like i forgot about all these explosions and yeah i love that overhead shot is so fucking cool looking it looks straight out of the purge and uh i I really uh appreciated that yeah he kind of uses like the innocuous nature of birds it to raise the stakes because like they see a person with their eyes gouge out of their head gouge out of their head by a bird with dead birds everywhere Mm -hmm. and they don't believe it and it's just like you no one believes anything and it's just like what else do you have to see you have to see the whole town on fire yeah Yeah. the the cop just plainly goes ah birds can't do that they they, they couldn't (laughs) pluck his eyes out they just can't do that yeah no yeah that scene of the the reveal of the guy in the corner it's freaked the shit out of me when i was a kid man traumatized me Uh, i love the way that that scene is is edited it's very common in a lot of hitchcock films that he will like uh you know cut further and further from mm-hmm. like a kind of a, a a wide to a medium to a close-up you know mm-hmm. almost like kind of like making the audience sort of double take at what they're seeing uh, but like confronting them with it it's it's really freaky even now like it's it's still pretty pretty unsettling but yeah, yeah. I, I really like that that the diner scene of having all of these characters and these different again mostly archetypes these different mm-hmm. people uh coming to, uh, coming and sharing their piece uh ethel griffies is the uh, actress that plays the the bird lady and she's <laughs> fucking great like she's yes. she's She's like the snooty British woman, you know, who's just like, well, the birds could never do this, you know, and just like, it's you like trying to light her cigarette like three times. I <laughs> exactly. That was so funny. <laughs> I did want to ask a question to you guys, because I think that a lot of people would be a little frustrated that the film doesn't have uh, an explanation as to why the birds are attacking, where I think it's one of the strengths of the film. I love the the way that the film ends on this pretty open open note so much so that universal added that like a universal picture at the end of the movie to let people know that the movie was over, (laughs) that it didn't just stop. Um, So I kind of like the ambiguity of it all. And I think had the film offered more reasons as to why these birds were attacking, it would just be fully science fiction. But I think in holding that information back, Again, it's kind of the unknown being a bit more scary. So, do you did you guys want a bit more of even just teases or you know tips of the hat as as to maybe why this could be happening, or did you like the mystery of it all? Nah, I don't need anything. Yeah, I, I, I like I like the ambiguity because there are plenty of theories, you know, throughout the film, yeah. and that's what I enjoy is like you know everyone is it is it religiously tied? Is it the end of days, and then or is it? Uh, you know, or is it the coincidence of all this happens when the outsider comes to town and it's like, yeah. um, is it because, you know, Melanie is trying to force this, you know, love situation? Is that why it happens? And like, uh, it's all, yeah, I love that there's no explanation. I love the way that it's even cut at the end with like, you see them, you know, they pull out slowly and they're driving off, but like, we don't see them like 
make it out of the town. So for all we know is two minutes later, the birds are going to wake up and attack the car and they're fucked. Like for all we know, you know, so there is kind of no um, guarantee of a happy ending. It's just like, oh, fingers crossed. Let's hope so, you know, that they make it out of this. So it's like I, I, I very much love the ambiguity here. Yeah, I like it being ambiguous. I always think of Hitchcock uh, as being kind of like a a pop director, or he kind of was thought of it at the time. And he was very well aware that when people leave a movie, they're going to talk about it. So you don't want to give them an explanation at the end of the movie. You want them to be able to discuss it, you know, with their with their partner or their family or whoever they go to see this movie with and they're at a dinner at a diner or whatever like that's very you want to have that discussion continuing to happen yeah there were actually a few separate uh endings that were considered for this movie one was like almost this kind of car chase where the Uh birds would get on like the top of the car and like essentially rip it off like it would be like like they were driving a convertible being attacked by these birds and then what is my favorite i like the ending though the best but i i think out of alternate endings the idea of this movie was originally going to end of this wide shot of the brooklyn bridge that is just littered with birds like all over the bridge like this is obviously uh you know uh a complete uh, epidemic in the world but i do like again the ambiguity of you have this outsider who comes to town and the birds aren't flocking and crazy when they leave so maybe now that they're gone you know they can be at bay no pun intended but (laughs) i I do like that it's still a bit up in the air like devon was saying we've seen them idle in the movie before who's to say that they're just not about to strike so yeah i like how hitchcock kind of leaves the audience with not having those easy answers and leaving them a bit unsettled and uh you were talking about how audiences would leave the theater and want to be talking about the film hitchcock also had requested that they put like some speakers outside the theaters with like bird calls and stuff like (laughs) that to freak people out which is like he's such a rascal man <laughs> he is yeah. especially when it comes to that stuff because of the whole tv show and everything he was just like super aware of being ever present in the audience's yeah. you know psyche yeah. yeah again it's like i love that he's a director that likes to remind you that you're watching a movie like he, mm-hmm. he's yep. you know he's not trying to do this real life thing and like you say he wants you to have these conversations of what life could be and I'm glad that they didn't uh, go with like the Brooklyn Bridge ending because I also love the idea that we don't know if this is happening elsewhere it's like I like the idea is it's why Bodega Bay why is it happening here at this moment um, yeah. so I'm glad that they uh, didn't go that route either even though I would have loved to have known or like or maybe it might have been interesting if like throughout the film they kind of get phone calls like hearing from like other other areas and like because maybe that would have made it a little bit they, more hopeless for the town have it, have it on the radio that it's also in sebastopol and San, santa rosa which oh. are like hour away or so like 30 minutes to an hour away from bodega bay oh, so when he's like one. when he's turning on the car he, they play on the radio a little oh bit. okay gotcha yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't even catch that and um <clears throat> as far as uh some uh the other strongest core element for me is once they're in the house once they're locked in the house yeah. together um you know um uh you have um uh you have the the sister who is uh, absolutely terrified and like what she what's happening and uh, she has a, a really great performance of uh, Veronica Cartwright a li- little uh, little Veronica Cartwright as many <laughs> people know in uh, like James Cameron movies in the 80s and things like that um, is uh, is really fantastic and like first like when she meets Melanie and they're all snappy but then like once like shit's hitting the fan like this girl is just like in peril and like you, you really see it 
on her face and and what I like about again inside this house is like it is just so quiet and they are just like kind of reacting to things and like you know because I'm always saying in movies we don't need people talking in every single scene let's just have more quiet scenes where people are literally just like you know they're like all you're hearing is like they're breathing heavily they're shaking and crying in the corner um you know all these things and it just like kind of really lets you sit in it and mm-hmm. um and the scene where um where Melanie gets attacked is fucking uh, terrifying. Like she's she's really getting got, and then she goes to the ground and is falls in front of the door, so that Mitch can't even get into the door to like you know yeah. help save her. And like by the end of it, I mean she looks like a fucking ghoul, uh, uh you know in the end like she is, and she's just like shaken and she's like kind of having this trauma. And I guess this would also be the point to uh bring in the dark controversy. Uh, of the film here a little bit because you know there's a difference between because I think because I think that um uh Tippy Hedren has a very great performance in this like I think she very much convincingly portrays like this terror but then it's like it, there you know we've heard the stories of like you know William Freak on The Exorcist or um uh Stanley Kubrick on The Shining and it's like you know we kind of get that and like you know some directors will do it as a means to artistic ends versus in this one it was like kind of more skeptic uh skeptical that like hitchcock was doing this to uh punish tippy hedron for not uh, receiving his uh sexual advances um that apparently uh were well documented on set by other people including including rod taylor himself and it, it's an interesting thing with his legacy because all this stuff didn't come out until like uh way after his death like a good like 15 years after his death before uh, these stories kind of came out. So it's like people have already had that concrete cemented legacy of Hitchcock. And then when you hear about this, it's like, oh, now how do I, uh, you know, take this in? Um, so it's like, you know, because it's like, again, uh, when you're doing things on artistic merit is one thing, but I feel like it feels a lot more sinister and the idea that he's doing it to punish her. And, and uh, that's yeah. fucking shitty. Yeah, I think it, I, the reason that his uh, legacy is still kind of intact is because uh, I think in regards to the was he punishing Tippy Hedren, I think that is still up in the air. What's not up in the air, though, is what happened on set is that Tippy Hedren showed up that day of that scene being shot and they're like, hey, the the special effects like puppet birds, they're broken. They're not working now. We're going to use real birds. Is that cool? And she's like, uh sure i guess and then they went to proceed that uh to shoot that scene for like four days straight which yep. resulted in in tippy hedron being in the hospital and that scene where rod taylor is carrying uh melanie down the stairs that's not tippy hedron that's some that's a body double because tippy was in the hospital recovering so um although she wasn't like um severely uh injured during this the filming of that it was sounded like it was pretty fucking traumatizing she's described it as like the worst week of her life so i think Obviously, there's something to be said for, you know, somebody like a like a Tom Cruise who puts their their body on the line in order to, you know, wow audiences and, you know, is willing to go the extra mile to entertain. But uh, somebody like Tippi Hedren, who did not sign up for that, that was not in their contract. And I'm sure they would have, you know, really 
protested had this not been literally their first movie. You know, I think Hitchcock is a director that's been very open about how he views actors, referring to actors as cattle. So he mm -hmm. doesn't really seem to have a general like level of respect for actors anyway. Um, and so I just think obviously in today's day and age, that's certainly not okay. It wasn't okay then. And, you know, you shouldn't be putting your actors in harm's way just to make your movie a little bit better. Um, I and, Unless again, circumstances that they're okay with it and that they're they're a part of this but just kind of springing that on them is is not great beyond that tippy uh also was really harassed by hitchcock uh you know he was quite obsessive over her she did one more movie with him after that and then a lot of other directors had come to her Truffaut at one time came to her and like wanted to have her in their movies but hitchcock was like wouldn't have it you know he kind of just had his grip on her as he did with a lot of his actress uh, actresses and unfortunately you know a lot of those kind of terms like sexual assault and harassment and stalking and all of those things just didn't exist at the time and so unfortunately it is one of those things where you have to wait 15 to 20 years to where that's even there's terms for that you know uh and so tippy hedron has come forward and talked about it and you know in a lot of interviews she, she she seems like she's at peace that she overall seemed to enjoy her time on this but obviously it being in the the 60s there's going to be a lot of stuff that is just not um acceptable uh, uh by any stretch of the imagination so it really does suck that that was her experience on that because you're right devon she's completely terrific in the film and i think that hitchcock it's the last i'll say about it is not really giving her enough credit for how great she is like you don't have to force that performance no. out of her no. like hitch like she's great like throw a couple fake birds at her and it's it's all cut to hell anyway it's like super frenetic cutting i just think it's really unnecessary and it also makes it hard to watch the scene now <laughs> just because you're watching this real person in real danger and terror and and you'd mentioned that she looks like a ghoul it's like she probably was fucking terrified <laughs> you know she she probably actually was shaking so yeah the the legacy of of tippy hedron and her relationship with hitchcock is obviously totally unacceptable but i i think that she's excellent in the film uh and thankfully uh you know what she's able to contribute in this film completely um isn't uh hampered by that because she's still uh probably one of the best things about this movie yeah i think it as you say this is her first film and it if any other person i mean i don't know it, things were so different at the time but i feel like that was a part of the reason he wanted someone who was fresh to the scene um is so he could find someone that he could push to the edge because that is kind of his thing Ew. um and it's very famously like she's known as the girl because he wanted the girl from the seagull commercial um so that's kind of the title she carries around with her the rest of her life if you haven't read her autobiography it's really fascinating um she does have this way of discussing it from a distance i think which shows she's you know taken some time to heal from this process which you know i think as a she was like a single mother at the time you know she's the mother of melanie griffith she had to support her daughter as a single mother and so she had to kind of take it on the chin and continue but she did end up you know standing up to him and she called him like a fat pig or something yeah. and she and that was like he was like he called me the one she called me the one thing no one could ever call me which was like one of his things in his uh, biography that he told uh can't remember what his name was who wrote his biography um but yeah i think she she ends up being the star of this movie in more than one way because she does give such a great performance she also has one of those faces that just looks 
so like she looks amazing on screen and she has like this inner glow about her I kind of compare her to like Kristen Stewart a little bit like they just look they just have this way of like naturally emoting on screen without having to do a lot Mm -hmm. um and I think she shows that in this movie so much yeah yeah, I think uh, I think uh, you can kind of see it in her granddaughter as well, Dakota Johnson. Yes, exactly uh, can, that too. You can kind of see it a little bit there as well. And um, and if uh, anybody uh, wants any more um, kind of information on uh, this thing, you can obviously uh, look up some of the interviews. But there was also a movie uh, made about it called The Girl, starring uh, mm-hmm. Toby Jones as Alfred Hitchcock, that kind of uh, portrays uh, his kind of uh obsession fanaticism that he had for her so i mean i'm probably gonna check that out sometime this month just to kind of now that i have um a little bit more context behind it and i think that'd be interesting but uh uh, enough of the the real life dark stuff let's get back to the fake dark stuff um um was there any other things uh, as far as like uh, some of the horror elements uh, that really worked for you guys in this film um, I do. Yeah, I like that the uh, a lot of the kind of the DNA in this film can be found in uh, like later films like Jaws, I think is probably the the biggest key example of having this nature rebelling, uh, like terror and kind of the the dynamic between people in this small town also kind of underlining that terror where this level of fear and distrust and, you know, some people kind of like ringing this bell, trying to alert everybody while other people are dismissive of them. So I feel like there is a level of like helplessness uh, to what's happening here, which I feel like there's a lot of sequences in this movie that inspired Spielberg when he uh, later made the Jaws. And I think it's really evident when you watch this movie. Yeah. And and I think uh, another interesting angle, too, um, as far as uh, the, the performances go uh, is uh, with Rod Taylor uh, as his performance progresses through the movie, too. Um, I think he does something very interesting and like again he's like kind of portrayed as this very uh, you know he's successful he loves his family he's kind of grounded in this way and like you know throughout the movie he's kind of the rock of the movie like you know everybody's kind of freaking out and he's the one making moves he's the one boring up the house he's the one like going around checking in on things Um, but then you see in the third act that like even he's broken down to it in a way that you didn't really see leading men do in the 60s of like you know portraying this like vulnerable where you see once they're in this house like and he's trying his best to you know keep everyone else calm you just see the the you know you see it slip off his face like there's a point where he's just like he's terrified himself and like the fact that um he kind of um has this moment um you know and it happens after after uh, uh melanie's attacked is when he is just like uh, there, there's a there's a fear that he portrays that I found very fascinating because again we kind of weren't really getting that from leading men in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that scene when he they're in the house and he's trying to board up the window or the window got smashed open so he's trying to close it and he and he gets bit on the hand by birds and then he goes into this other room to get like um some kind of bandage and he goes into the other room and the camera looks straight ahead and you just see the door and the beaks are like slowly mm-hmm. picking through the door it's mm-hmm. a really great like way of moving the eeriness throughout the house so you kind of see how this this um this you know impending doom is coming from all everywhere like there really is no safety mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think that reveal too of in that infamous scene, the reveal of the attic being like broken in yeah. and just immediately cutting to like the swarm of birds like attacking the camera, which they were able to achieve by like putting food uh, around like the camera lens. And they also gave uh, the birds like wheat and something else to like kind of make them a little bit more like rabid. Uh, ah. AS, uh, uh, PCA was apparently on set. So apparently <laughs> none of the birds were like gravely injured, but <laughs> like uh, catnip, but for birds. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But I love the scene uh, where they're boarding up the house and uh, uh, Lydia is like, what are you going to do when we run out of wood? And she's like, uh, what are you going to do next? And she's like yelling at Mitch. It's a really funny scene. Oh, my God. There's um, it, I know um, we already talked about the uh, discovery of uh, the neighbor uh, being dead and Lydia's line discovers her. The other time that she makes me crack up is the way that she runs is so fucking funny she like she like looks and she just says nothing and she's running out of the house and like her like arms are like flailing and her like head is like cocked to the side as she's running it is so fucking hilarious looking real terror right there it's real terror yeah she's playing up the melodrama yeah, I, I really, in, uh, on the topic of, like, uh, good horror scenes, I love the scene in the phone booth, like, the claustrophobia mm -hmm. of all of that. It's also, again, like, reminiscent of, like, the 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 cage scene in Jaws, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I, yeah. I think that there's a, a lot of similarity here, but the fact that she's, like, totally shut in this glass box while all of the birds are, like, pecking at the glass and, like, trying to get her, it's it's horrifying. Yeah, I I uh, also want to get your guys' opinion on um, the kind of fourth wall break that we get in the film a little bit where um, at, while during the scene, it's the uh, scene um, or it's right before everything like starts uh, busting loose a bit when we're still in the diner and the mom uh, looks directly at the camera. She says, who are you? Why are you doing this? And I find that interesting because is she addressing Hitchcock as, you know, like he's kind of, or well, Hitchcock, I guess, addressing himself of this character being like, who are you? And like, why would you uh, put people through this in this movie? Like you sicko. Or yeah. is it also um, kind of, uh, are they addressing the audience of being like, why are you watching this? Why are you enjoying this? Like, why are you waiting to see, uh, you know, this town fall apart? Because again, this is like right before shit hits the fan. So it's like almost like this, like, all right, you guys are asking for it. So I'm going to give it to you. And then like, that's where it kind of kicks off the, the horror and the rest of the film. So what do you guys yeah. think about that scene? Um, I think that uh, Hitch was definitely a filmmaker that used those kind of like straight down the barrel, you know, looking right at uh, the eye line. You know, I think the most uh, iconic example of that would be the end of Psycho. Like he wouldn't hurt a fly, you know, just staring right at the camera. And it is, I think, a little of both. I think Hitchcock was certainly somebody that we've already mentioned really liked to make the audience squirm. And so I think he's probably calling out himself as well as as others of like, we're putting these these characters through this like horrible situation and like the kind of the 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 glee that he derives from that and so i think it is it is a little bit of both but yeah i i love that scene and that the scene where she where she slaps her she actually did uh hit her tippy hedron was like very <laughs> like i don't want to hit you and she's like no really really give it to me you know? <laughs> nice. uh, and she gives her like the wimpiest little slap in the world uh but it's a good scene yeah i think he's kind of playing in the voyeurism of you know because, I mean, he does this in Rear Window. He loves this idea of everyone looking at each other and why are we checking each other out? Why do we always need each other's business? So I think he's definitely playing into that. And he loves those, like, straight-on shots. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think it, yeah, it's a little bit of both again. Uh, him kind of again, like reminding you, like this is a movie, but like also, why do you watch these types of movies? Uh, you know, feels a little funny games esque as well. I feel like Hanukkah probably um, uh, was influenced uh, in that way uh, as well. Um, and then I had one more thing that I was. Um, interested in i want to get your guys interpretation uh i love color theory and films and stuff uh why does the blue pop so much in this film because you see um you see um mitch and his sister and lydia's eyes are all blue and they're super bright and then like when the cop comes in his uh tie and like patch on his suit the the blue is very bright and then there's like another scene where they're uh i think they're cleaning up in the house after the first attack and there's a uh, there's like a uh, books and magazines on the ground and like the blue sticks out really well. So like, well, what do you guys think the blue means for this film? I I yeah I don't know if I have like a, a deep thematic reason other than like this being like in that Technicolor era, which was like really known for its vibrance and Hitchcock making a film that is you know uh, uh, such a spectacle. I think his choice to have it in color, even though he could have it in black and white, like for psycho, for example, is, is shot in black and white. I think the idea of having color, uh, for one, I think just makes the birds pop a bit more. I'm sure if it was black and white with black birds, it would be re very difficult to see everything. Uh, and I, I think of the scene in, in the attic where you have like the moonlight pouring into the house, you know, where the, uh, the, the birds are attacking. I think for me, the, I, I think more like logistically, there's probably a reason why it's as vibrant as, as it is. I don't know if I necessarily have like a deeper thematic uh, uh, justification for it. Yeah, I would say probably maybe because it makes the red pop more because they're kind of contrasting colors like red and blue. So maybe like that's a, a way to make that pop a little bit more. Like when you see the red on the hands, see the bites, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I really, I think that I think of like the vibrancy of this film. I think of the the costuming, like that yeah. really iconic, like mint green, like you know, yes. sort of uh, uh, a suit that she's wearing throughout most of this film. I I, I think of, of of that too. And Hitchcock, obviously, like loving his blondes. You know, you have yes. to have that platinum blonde being at the front and center too. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at general color theory in film, and for blue. Um, one thing it mentions is isolation, which uh, I think, you know, obviously is kind of a, a somewhat of a theme in this film. But what really sticks out to me is it says of tranquility and harmony. So it, I feel like maybe it's a, yeah, kind of reminding you that this is this idolized, uh, you know, kind of small seaside community and all these things and uh, kind of remind you that these people are, you know, very content and happy with the way that their lives are in this town. And then it is kind of, um, you know, a uh, uncertain by the birds and in, in the film so uh not exactly sure but the for some reason the blues really stuck out to me but um uh let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts of the film um and we'll rank it out of five what are we ranking out of today garrett probably birds probably crows <laughs> of some of some sort just a hunch you know probably <laughs> uh, was it crows or blackbirds it doesn't matter uh yeah so uh, let's let's go five crows because crows are kind of um more more known for being nefarious uh in a way so uh lexi out of uh five crows uh give us your final thoughts here on the film um i'll give it three crows and a beak okay there we go. Okay, that's that's pretty solid. Um, where does it where does it rank amongst uh, uh, Hitchcock films for you? Um, I would 
say it's probably somewhere in the middle. I haven't seen like Marnie and stuff like that. Um, I it would probably be like Rear Window, Rebecca, you know, Vertigo at the top, and then like Dial in for Murder and this kind of in the middle. Interesting. And then North by Northwest kind of in the middle too. Um, but yeah. Okay, uh, Garrett, what about you? Uh, this is three and a half out of five birds, but the bird is split like down the <laughs> middle of their face. So it's got it's got the one half of the beak, but the you know like the right side. Uh, you had asked me like where does this kind of fit in in Hitchcock's repertoire? For me, it's it's like it's certainly not in his lower half. It's probably still in the upper half, but just barely for me. I think I can think of so many other films that work so much better for me. Uh, you had mentioned it, uh, Alexis, and I wanted to, to recommend if you haven't seen um uh notorious i would recommend that because you had yeah i've been uh, north by northwest being his first spy uh film and i would i would recommend notorious because that's literally about a spy and i i think you would really dig it yeah i've i've heard that recommended to me before and i will have to check it out I, you know yeah. i think this is a good time to watch it yeah ingrid yeah. bergman uh totally crushes in that she's fantastic <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll definitely have to throw that one on my watch list as well. Uh, I totally lied last episode when I said that I had seen uh, like 12 or so uh, Hitchcock films. I've seen only eight. Um, so I guess now by the end of this month, I have to make it to 12 so I don't sound like a complete liar. Uh, don't go on my letterbox and, and, and uh, call me out. Um, but uh, honestly, this was a big surprise, uh, again, on how much I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie. I was having a lot of fun in the first half. I was laughing quite a bit. I'm yelling at the screen, roommates popping in, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just cussing out the bird lady. Uh, there's nothing going on here. And then, again, I found uh, the second half way scarier and har more harrowing than I kind of remembered or that the reputation the movie has would lead you to believe like a lot of people are like oh it's the silly movie where people are getting attacked by birds and it's no like the again like those last 20 minutes like really hit for me um uh so yeah this is a this is a five out of five uh, uh for me yes uh, i haven't i haven't uh, given a five star in a hot minute and uh <laughs> i i was very surprised on how much i really really enjoyed this movie and uh if you guys want me to start the hitchcock hot takes this is above this is above psycho for me this is above Bro, rear window. Wow. This is fucking above, crazy. This is, above, this is above rear window for me. I'm telling you right now, that is fucking crazy. Wow. Hey, if you guys, if you if you guys want more psycho hot takes, go and listen to that incinerator episode uh, that I did with uh, Billy Ray. <laughs> And I uh, guess the show Bibbs was on that episode too. And um, uh, we, they spend about 20 minutes reaming me about uh, my opinions on Psycho. So, um, so yeah, I, I got some weird Hitchcock uh, uh, takes in there. But um, this is, uh, this is uh, quite up towards the top as, as far as uh, the, the eight films that I have seen so far. Um, but we know that Hitchcock is a big inspiration. We know that Hitchcock is a big influence on lots of films, so let's see what other movies were on the brain while we were talking The Birds. Alrighty, here on Spectre Cinema Club, we like to conclude all of our conversations by talking about some of the films that reminded us of the movie that we discussed today, being The Birds. So, Alexis, you're new around these parts, so I will uh, let Devon take the, uh, take the lead here and uh, show you how it's done. So, Devon, what's in your equation? Oh, yeah. You saw that I got something funky, and I'm glad that uh, you helped me uh, fix a thing because I couldn't find the square root <laughs> button when I was tapping in my phone. Uh, so, yeah, I got some I got a funky equation here. So uh, in parentheses, 
I got uh, To Catch a Thief, if I'm going to throw in another Hitchcock film as far as uh, the romance angle, really only taking that part uh, because there is kind of this uh, interesting dynamic that isn't quite uh, like a typical, you know, flirtation attraction uh, between uh, characters that you wouldn't expect that from. Uh, So I got that divided by The Wicker Man. Uh, As far as an outsider going to an isolated location, uh, it is also by the sea. Um, and, uh, again, like the, I'm talking, uh, the original Wicker Man, even though I love the remake also, they're, they're both fun in their own ways. Um, but in the original, there is a more, uh, gradual buildup. Like the, the first, uh, 45 minutes is very whimsical with all these musical numbers and people being super horny and, uh, and it just like kind of has this weird vibe. And then like, once things get dark, it like really creeps in on you and just like kind of the last 20 minutes of the movie, like you are just sitting there with this heaviness on top of you. Uh, as you uh, kind of watch the very tragic ending. So I have To Catch a Thief, Divide by the Wicker Man, parentheses, times uh, The Mist um, is my Stephen King choice for this. We already kind of mentioned it uh, earlier in the episode of uh, the ensemble cast and just, you know, the way that everybody's kind of theorizing and kind of having to band together um, and all these things. And um, and also just like kind of the style in general, I feel like the way that that town is kind of depicted um, uh, feels very reminiscent of this film. Um, so I have uh, so that multiplied uh, and all of that is in parentheses multiplied by the square root of barbarian and uh where does this come from you ask well as uh, as garrett uh introduced square roots uh, a few weeks ago uh, i'm going down to like a very bare bones aspect of it and it is the structure uh the structure of the movie is uh, in barbarian this first 40 minutes is first you're kind of suspicious of the guy but then it turns into a rom-com for 25 minutes uh, between these characters and then there is a stark shift in the film uh, into the more overtly horror element. So I'm really going down to the, the bare bone element of Barbarian. So uh, that is my equation uh, to catch a thief divided by a wicker man, divided by or multiplied by the mist times the square root of Barbarian. I love how I was like, Devon, show her, show her how it's done. And let me see, let me see that <laughs> equation. He just showed her the most complicated uh, equation that you could possibly. I muster. think that is uh, the most complicated one I've made so far. <laughs> um, I, I'm a little upset that you included to catch a thief because that's a great poll uh, and that you kind of stole it from me. Uh, but Alexis, what's in your equation? Okay, so let's do this together, but let's see how it works. So uh, mine's very basic, not as complicated as yours. I'm not good at math. So um, the basis of mine is the mummy to start with like the romance meet weird meet cute moment that happens hell yeah (laughs) and then you throw and you add arachnophobia to add in the kind of you know natural horror movie minus spiders which is a movie so we're taking out the spiders from the arachnophobia and then we're adding in birdemic because of course birds obviously Whenever I was looking, did you guys know there's a Birds 2? I did not. I had no idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how connected it is. I didn't even uh, bother like looking into even it. Even bigger I just saw, birds. I just saw <laughs> the Birds 2. I was like, oh. Well, we didn't talk about it in the conversation, but I wanted to shout out how this movie like really refrains from using like big ass, like obviously scary birds, that it's mostly yeah. like little ones. So uh, it didn't make it in the conversation, but I like that part. Uh, so yeah, I introduced the square root uh, a few weeks ago, and I'm having the square root of Jaws 
again, it's about the small town natural sort of phenomenon is happening unexplained. And, you know, the, there's conflict with among the, the members of the community of like how best to handle this, if it's even true at all. Uh, Divided by Salem's Lot, that's also uh, a Stephen King uh, story about this outsider who comes to this place that is having uh, these, uh, you know, strange Strange things are afoot at the Circle K, as it were. So, yeah, uh, the square root of Jaws uh, divided by Salem's Lot. I think uh, both of those films certainly share a lot of the DNA in this movie. So it's kind of hard to talk about a lot of Hitchcock's movies with movie math because it's like, well, this went on to, you know, inspire this filmmaker and this filmmaker, and then they made this. So, yeah, th- this is certainly one of those movies. Well, and I think that's, I guess, kind of also what we're when we're. Um using the square root of, like you said, it's like uh, with the trendsetters, you know, like the the ones yeah. that like kind of uh, started this bare bones element that is kind of very common throughout. Uh, so oh, I yeah. like the way that we're working it in there. And uh, we have episodes on Salem's Lot and Barbarian if you want to hear more thoughts on those films. But Lexi, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with us. Uh, where can the people find you on social media and uh, tell them about your podcast? Well, thank you guys for having me on. This was really fun. I'm glad I finally got to discuss the birds. Um, you can find me, Schooled by Cinema is my podcast, where I break down, every season I break down a different part of the filmmaking process. Last season I did cinematography. I'm doing screenwriting right now. Um, and you can find Schooled by Cinema at all the places. And you can find me, uh, I'm at Stunning Gun with two Gs at all the places. Oh, yeah, definitely go uh, check out that podcast. It's uh, very insightful, uh, uh, a lot more uh, well-studied than uh, Garrett or I, uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> no. Garrett, uh, what are you working on right now? Hey, I read a, wiki- a Wikipedia page a couple of times before we recorded, so, you know, give, give, give me a little bit of slack here. Uh, but you guys can find me over uh, on TikTok, Letterboxd, and Twitter at Garrett McDowell. Uh, if you want some more podcasting stuff from me, I've got a Star Wars podcast uh, called Scum and Villainy. If you want to uh, hear some more goodies from me uh, that are not spooky movie related. And you can find me on all the usual places at underscore daddy disco. Uh, you can hear me uh, over on Pod and Pendulum. Uh, if our three-hour episode on Saw Rankings wasn't enough, hey, I got to do it with my Pod and Pendulum crew also. So uh, go <laughs> listen to another Saw Ranking episode. And I swear, I'm, I'm, I'm done talking Saw for a little bit. I, I promise. I even got called on Twitter. I was like, man, you have been in your Saw bag for months now. And I'm like, yes, I have. I, Saw season was a very fruitful one. Uh, but yeah, so you can uh, go hear me with more thoughts over there. And we will catch you next week as we discuss Strangers on a Train. Choo-choo! But now go ahead and do it for this week's episode of The Spectre Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Subscribe to not miss a thing. You can follow us on social media at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us five stars, a nice little review. We appreciate you. But until next time, guys, stay lifted.